Was he a myth? Or is he a mentor? And we hear the stories of, you know, everyone's drinking green beer and dyeing their hair green. Talking about Patrick driving the snakes out of Ireland. And he's become this mythological figure to many people. But he's so much more than that. And today, this day where we honor, it's actually the day that he died. March 17th is the day that he died. And it's the day that we commemorate his life. And I'd like to suggest that he most certainly is not a myth. And that he can be a mentor for each and every one of us. That there are examples from his life that we can glean and apply to our own more than a thousand years later. Just just a little bit of history on Patrick. He was born around 389 AD in either Scotland or England. And I actually watched a YouTube video last night that threw whales into the mix. But he was in one of those countries, just a hop across the ocean from the nation of Ireland. Interestingly enough, he was neither Irish nor British. He was actually Roman. His name was Patricus. His family were kind of Roman aristocracy. You know, understand the setting. This is this is near the fall, the 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 waning years of the Roman Empire, and Rome is calling back their guards, calling back their soldiers, calling back their officials, come back to Rome. It's the outpost, the edge of the empire, the edge of the civilized world. And his parents were wealthy and and influential, well-educated people on the outpost of civilization, if you can picture that. So he's not Irish, he's not British, he's Roman. And his parents were sent there to the outpost of the empire. It's colonized, right? It's a colony. It's a British, I mean, a uh, Roman colony living, again, on the outpost of empire. His parents were religious. Did they have a personal faith in Jesus Christ? Well, we, we don't know. We do know that his father was a deacon in the local church. And they kind of dragged him to church. But he seemed to have little interest in it. But his parents took him to church. Did your parents take you to church? My parents dropped me off at church. We had to bring the bullet. Sometimes we would sneak away and just go to the pizza parlor, but we would always get the church bulletin and bring it home as evidence that we were there. We went to be rebellious. He was rebellious, very rebellious teenager, got into lots and lots of uh, trouble. And that at age 16, Something happened that changed his life forever. And his life changed in an instant. Has, has your life ever changed in an instant? Have you had some event? It could be a diagnosis of some medical condition. It could be the day that your spouse says, I'm done, I'm out. You get some news about a path that your children are on or you lose, you, you lose your job. Sometimes like car accident, something can happen. And life, as you know, is kind of... Uh, B-E-N-A-E, before the event and after the event. Kind of a defining line in your life. Has that that already happened to you? Because if it hasn't, it very well might. So this is kind of the Patrick's before and after. 
but life can change in an instant. His parents were away for the day, off to a neighboring village. You know, what were they visiting friends? I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they went to the outlet mall. We don't know. But they were gone. And out of the ocean came barbarian raiders from Ireland. And I can call them barbarians. And I can describe them without fear of, of your judgment because they're my ancestors. I just took that um, ancestry.com DNA test. So now I'm nervous because on paper, I am a 100% pure blood Irish. My father is from the north. In fact, my father is from Armagh, which was where Patrick, that was the seat of Patrick's um, bishopric. And my mother is from the Republic, from the south of Ireland in County Mayo. So on paper, I'm pure Irish, and I, I, I really am not actually looking forward to having my bubble burst when I find out that probably, like everybody else, I'm secretly a mutt and a mix of many different things. <laughs> but we, we, I will know within the next few weeks. So, But I, as of this moment, I, I do not need to, to be embarrassed to say that my ancestors were pirates, raiders, barbarians, violent, godless. In fact, they were Satan worshipers. My ancestors were Satan worshipers practicing human sacrifice. Extremely evil. And they would come and raid. And if you've seen Pirates of Caribbean, you see how quickly it happens. It was like that. Suddenly these boats come ashore and these big, you know, powerful men leap out of the boats naked, covered in blue paint. And they invade this Roman outpost. The men are killed. The women are raped. And the young people were kidnapped. Patrick lived through this. Day of day, worst day of his life. To see people, not his parents, they were spared, but you can be sure many people he loved. He watched them killed, raped, kidnapped. And he was taken, they throw him in the boat and they take him, row back to Ireland with him. As a slave, it, it's not what he thought would happen in his life. I'm sure as he spent his first 16 carefree years as a son of Roman aristocracy, influential, successful people, he never thought that this would happen in his life. It wasn't what he signed up for. And he's enslaved, not just anywhere. He's enslaved in a spiritually dark and extremely dangerous, violent land. Again, Druid priest practicing human sacrifice. They would chop off their enemy's head, dry out the skull, and drink out of it. May even have been cannibals. Likely were. Violent, perpetual, tribal warfare. Devil worship. That, that, that's, the, that's what he's surrounded by. Bad enough to be a slave, but to be in that environment, can you imagine? To go from 
this, you know, civilized, developed country. You know, the we were, I just walked in Turkey through Roman ruins. I mean, they were so sophisticated. They had beautiful, oh, they already had incredible, beautiful jewelry. They had medical tools. They were doing surgery. They had sewers. They had water in their houses. Very sophisticated civilization. Art, learning, education, universities. He goes from that back to you know, this pre-Stone Age devil worshipers. He was left outdoors, naked. Depending on who you believe, he was either tending pigs or sheep. But it wasn't fun. His life as a slave. Believe it or not, it was during that time that seeds of faith from his childhood began to grow. And so I need to address this. Because the, probably the number one thing that I used to see when I would travel around North America, people would line up for prayer. And they'd wait for hours for prayer. He would stand in line for hours for prayer. Wow. One, two, three in the morning, people would still be standing there. Desperate for a word from God. And you know what it was? So many times, my child, my grandchild's far from the Lord. Drugs, alcohol, divorce. And I just, I want to encourage you. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it will take for that person that you love who seems lost and that you grieve for. I, I don't know what that would take, but I, I want you to know that because you planted seeds of faith, you can speak to those seeds and believe that somehow, maybe even in the most unthinkable circumstances, in, in the darkest of places, those seeds can grow. I mean, think about seeds. Where do they get? They're dark, right? And they're, they're, in a, they're underground in a dark place, right? Right? That's when they begin to sprout and grow. So be encouraged and stay in faith. In fact, we're going to pray right now. So, Father, we speak to those seeds planted into the lives of our our children, our adult sons and daughters, even our grandchildren, the people that we love. We speak to those seeds that we have sown. That the church, as he was dragged to church, the, the seeds that were sown at that church, and we don't know how strong that church was, but your word is sure. And you say that your word will not return void. And so we speak to those seeds and we believe that they will grow. Just lay claim to that, sisters. That's what happened for Patrick. The truth of God's word. And the prayers that he heard began to, to grow and, and take form in life. He said that he was diligent. We have two documents written. One was his confessions, which is kind of his autobiography, and another was a, a letter that he wrote. And he says in his confession, you know, I was never diligent. I was never idle. He, he created his own little daily routine. I'll say it again. He created his own daily routine of prayer and worship and study. 
He created that for himself. He brought structure into chaos. Some of us bring chaos into structure. (laughs) We have a very structured world, but we manufacture our own chaos. Amen? He did the opposite, into chaos by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says that. He, he, He remembers the moment when the Holy Spirit came up, and he actually, in his mind's eye, saw the Holy Spirit within him interceding for him. He saw the Holy Spirit groaning and interceding for him. And that moment was transformational. So if you didn't even know how to pray, say, Holy Spirit, begin to intercede for me. And this is the power of praying in the Holy Spirit. But he says, you know, I wasn't idle. I didn't let the chaos around me become the chaos within me. I found a way to create my own structure. You need to, we need to be doing that. He used his captivity extremely productively. Not what he signed up for, but he's like, okay, how can I be productive in the midst of this? I mean, it's pretty incredible, right? Six years pass. And I'm going to show you in a minute how we know that what I just said was true. And I'm amazed people don't know this expression, but we used it all the time, I guess, because we're Irish. But we use this expression all the time. Your ship has come in. I'm way, my had an uncle in particular. He always used to say, I'm just waiting for my ship to come in. I'm waiting for my ship to come in. And we thought it was like a luck thing. You know, Irish are really big on luck. I'm waiting for my ship to come in. I'm I'm waiting for my luck to change. I'm waiting for something outside of me to happen. And then I'll get lucky and and my fortunes will change. Do do any of you know this? I'm I'm curious. If you're joining me live, let me know. Is, Is it just my family who used to say it? I mean, I can hear my uncle all the time. I'm waiting for my ship to come in. That expression comes from the life of Patrick. See, while he was busy being diligent in the midst of these horrible (laughs) circumstances, God saw that diligence and was working. He didn't see it, but God was working. And he heard the voice of the Lord say, Patrick, your ship has come in. And it wasn't a luck thing. It was a get up and put some feet to your faith thing. Because slaves aren't allowed to walk away, especially naked slaves, naked teenage slaves. Well, I guess by then he would be like 22. But he heard God speak and immediately got up and began to walk. And I meant to look up how far it was, but I'm sure it was hundreds of miles. A runaway slave. Okay, so this is dangerous, this is risky, this is bold. But he heard from God. God said, your ship has come in. Now you've got to do something about it. Nothing outside of you is going to magically happen and then your life is going to get better. That's that's not what this expression means. Your ship has come in means now it's time for you to put some feet to your faith and go after that thing that God has promised. And that's exactly what Patrick did. A a prophetic word, let's say. (laughs) He received a prophetic word. And if you know me at all, you know how I define it. A prophetic word is a revelation of God's heart for you. It's a revelation of God's highest and best will for your life. A prophetic word is never a prediction. It's always an invitation to take a journey. And when Patrick hears this word from God, it's not a prediction. It's not something that's going to drop down from heaven upon him. He's going to have to take one step of faith after another. It's an invitation to a journey for Patrick and for you too. Have you had a prophetic word? I know you have. 
I had a really cool experience with uh, one of the the pastors who were with us in Turkey, and um, he, he's kind of in a very uh, a different stream. You know, it's many different streams of of Christianity. Just one other thing, I'll say more about that in a, in a minute. That that we kind of each we each kind of have our own little wheelhouse, and he's really you know deep in the Word of God and and deep on tradition, but not really into like the whole quote prophetic movement. And so he didn't quite understand, and and so we sat down. It was funny the last day. I will admit it. Um, I found a Starbucks <laughs> uh, at the um, Istanbul airport, and I went down. Into the, it was just adorable, cute little cozy Starbucks. And I went down and I, yes, indeed, I got a tall peppermint mocha hot with no whipped cream. And so I'm sitting there, I'm getting, I'm getting my order, and I hear a voice from above. I knew I'd find you here, and it was the pastor. And so he comes down the escalator, down the Starbucks. And I treat him to one, and we sit down and we start talking. And he's like, "So what? What? What is this thing that you?" do this gift that you have. And I said, well, you know, I explained it. And I said, you know, I just have an ability when I pray for people and I just say, God, what is your heart for this person? How do you, how do you, what do you want for this person? What's your highest and best for this person? And God, you know, will often share that with me. And it's always an invitation for them to take a journey. And he said, well, would you pray like that for me? And it, that, that's a leap from someone who's not in that kind of wing of the church, if that makes sense to you. More of a conservative, traditional type of a background. And I think I will share this because I think God, I mean, I just feel led to share this. Throughout the entire trip, this pastor was getting in trouble because he would, we would, all these ancient ruins, the, the rocks and walls, he just could not help himself. He had to leap up on the rocks <laughs> every minute. He was climbing up the rocks, rocks climbing up on the walls. And we're being led by this archaeologist. And she's like, these are ancient ruins. You cannot climb on this archaeological site. But he did, there was just something in him. He had to get to the high places. And so the word that God gave me is that, you know, your feet will be as the feet of a deer, um, hinds feet on high places or like the feet of a deer on high places. And I said that the invitation that God is giving you is to just go up to the high places. And just as you were leaping with joy and going higher and higher and maybe going to some places that are forbidden and getting a little bit of trouble, I said, I think that spiritually that that's exactly that, that what you were doing was actually a prophetic act. That what God is calling you to is to go higher and higher with him and, and go to places that really not many people around you have gone to. And they're kind of forbidden places, but they're ancient places. And you're going to get in trouble. and <laughs> Some people are going to be mad at you. But you need to have the courage to go there. And it's just going to be a journey that's filled with a combination of joy and, and rebuke. Maybe that's a word for someone else. But that that word that that I gave him in Starbucks was not a prediction, right? But it was an invitation. And I think he's going to say yes to it. And it's going to get him in all kinds of trouble. But it's also going to be filled with joy. So I hope everybody's understanding. And I I, I do think that this is important to, to say this here. Um, we offer prophetic prayer. And we need to be really careful, and I need to be really careful. It's not a horoscope, you know. It's and it, and it's not 
and, and we need to be really clear about that. And I'm not an oracle. It's not like, well, this is what's happening in my life this week. So let's see if, you know, uh, let, let me read my horoscope and see what I should do this week. Does that make sense? But it's an invitation to a journey. That's what it was for Patrick. That's what it was for the pastor. And, and, and that's, that's, that's what it is for you. Has God invited you to a journey? Have you, have you heard from God at some point in your life? And if you're in WU and you, I, I guarantee pretty much all of you at some point should have had a word from, you know, cause I pray. I actually, this is March. In January alone, I spent eight solid hours praying prophetically for people. And I, I clocked another hour at least in the month of February. So you've probably heard some, something from God. And not just here. And, you know, again, this isn't the only place, but at your church or maybe as a child, but something you know. Come on. You know what God told you. You know. But you've got to put some feet to your faith. That's the point. You, like Patrick, you've got to take a step of, a step of faith. I mean, he couldn't just say, God said, look, your ship has come in. That's it. You got to go, you got to go get it. You got to go find it. You had to take a walk. And some people are not going to be happy with you. You think his owner was happy about this when he took, he said yes to this invitation? His owner would kill him for this. He was willing to die for this. What are you willing to risk? What are you willing to risk? And that's why, again, I want to, I want to salute Rosnell, who number one said yes to the invitation to go to Turkey and in Turkey a Muslim-majority country that may be on the verge of going Islamic, we will know on April 16th. This might be the last chance any of us have to go see the seven churches of Revelation. If they slam that door, I don't know what's going to happen. If they're going to turn it into Saudi Arabia, I guarantee there are no biblical tours of any sort unfolding in Saudi Arabia. But she took a risk, and she, she came with me, and she was baptized publicly in a Muslim country with a bunch of Muslims watching. And our tour guide, who's not Muslim but not quite Christian, she's kind of on a journey. Pray for her. her name is Tulu. And she's WhatsApping me now. She's curious about this Women's Empowerment University thing that we're doing over here. She said that she shared pictures of that baptism with her students who are training to be tour guides in Turkey. And they were all. Very intrigued. So I don't know who she's going to impact, but I believe that her obedience to that invitation, God told her, you need to be baptized in Turkey. Incredible. You got to break the rules. I mean, I'm sure I can't imagine that Rosna wasn't breaking the rules getting baptized there. But we did it. We snuck right into the ocean and Hector Torres and Dr. Jackson dipped her in. Patrick was definitely breaking the rules. You got to break free of fear and and the life that you've been living and just refuse to be a slave. Uh, you know, Patrick's like, you know, I'm not going to be a slave. I'm not going to be a slave again to fear. I'm moving onward. And then so he leaves, he, he walks, he finds a boat, he sails, they believe to France. He spends some time in France. Then he, you know, makes his way back to, 
um, either England, Wales, Scotland, wherever his parents were. His parents are fine because they weren't there when the village was attacked. And they're so happy that he's home to his wonderful, comfortable life back from the barbarian devil worshiping cannibals, my family, and back to the normal, sophisticated Roman people. And there's a pressure to conform. Do you think his parents wanted him to leave? Again, I, I'm going to salute Sashin, who took her 12-year-old daughter on this tour in a Muslim nation. Are you willing to take in? Nobody else was willing to take their 12-year-old. Do you, do you, what do you want for, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. What do you want for your children? Do, do you still have children at home? Do you have grandchildren? What do you want for them? Do you want a comfortable life for them? Or do you want them to go and have a life-changing adventure with God? What do you want? You know what his parents wanted? They wanted him. They didn't want him going off on adventures with God. They wanted him to have a nice, comfortable, safe life. That was their priority for him. What I'm just challenging you. What is your priority for your kids and your grandkids? People look at me and shake my head. You know, and my, you know, I took my daughter with me. She's been to Egypt. She worked at the only Christian orphanage in the entire Middle East for a summer. She's been in, you know, garbage dumps with me. In Peru, we went into the garbage dumps. I mean, she's, she went with Heidi Baker into the bush bush in Mozambique. She's taken all kinds of risks. I want that for her. I, you know, and everybody's different and, and I'm not saying, am I saying there's a right and wrong? I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just sharing. His parents wanted him to come back and have a nice, comfortable life. And there was a lot of pressure on him to conform. And there was a real temptation, I'm sure, for him to forget about others and just focus on himself and his nice, comfortable little life. So here are the seven spiritual secrets of St. Patrick that we can apply to our life. Donna, 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 you were only supposed to take a half hour. You need to move along. Don't be, because I want to pray for you. I don't want this to be just teaching. God said, they don't want, they just want you to pray for them. <laughs> no one, no one's going to stand in line for three hours for you to teach Donna. They want prayer. So I'm going to move along. Is this helping somebody? Anybody? Is anybody being helped? Is God speaking to you? Let me know. Number one, don't be surprised when God takes you out of your comfort zone. I, I just don't know if we can ever become the people that God would have us be. I just don't know if we can really do what God put us on planet earth to do. I'm just not sure we can really have the life that Jesus died to give us if we insist upon living a comfortable life. I just don't know. Me, it's it might be. I just don't know. I will tell you this. If you say, you know what, God, I, I'm in, that's it. I want a life that matters. Then please don't be surprised when God takes you out of your comfort zone. And maybe, just maybe, his nice religious dad, the, the deacon at the local church, accidentally one day prayed, God, you know, use my son my rebellious son, 
intervene in his life. And I just, how many of you think that when his dad prayed that, what he meant was kidnap him as a slave in a foreign country? How many, how many of you were thinking that when his dad was praying for his rebellion teenage, rebellious teenager, that that was what he was hoping God would do? Talking to somebody. Because this wasn't planned, as you can tell by the slides. That's not what dad, the elder, thought was going to happen. So don't be surprised if God takes your children and your grandchildren, people you love. If you're praying for someone and then their life gets worse, don't assume that God didn't answer your prayer because maybe God did. Maybe that's the answer. Right? I mean, it's possible that they're just going to have to go through some stuff. So we shouldn't be surprised by that. Turn to God, not away, when life takes a a twist. So this is what Patrick did. Didn't sign up for this crazy twist in his life. He's like, wow, how did did I get here? (laughs) Rather than turning away from God, he turned to God. And he tells us, he began just pouring out his heart to God, saying, you know, I ignored you. I didn't want anything to do with you. Didn't want to go to church. Didn't want to know your word. Didn't want to pray. Didn't want any of that stuff. But in, you know, when his life took that twist, he turned to God in a big way. And we need to do the same. Be faithful with a little. And this this is what's so amazing about Patrick. I mean, (laughs) make the most of opportunities. Does this look like a big opportunity? I mean, again, we pray for open doors. We pray for ministry opportunities. Anybody else, or is that just me? How many of you say, come on, how many of you pray for opportunities and open doors? I was just listening to Joel Osteen this morning talking about open doors. Is this what you think the open door is going to look like? Is this the big opportunity? But it was. And do you know how he made the most of this tiny, did not disguised as work? Is it Thomas Edison who said opportunity is missed by most people because it shows up in overalls and looks like work? This was his big opportunity, even though maybe to us it wouldn't look like it. And maybe to him it didn't look like it. But it was. And he was diligent. And he tells us that in his confessions. He, number one, he learned their language. Donna, Donna, Donna. Donna, Donna, Donna. I'm... I'm Donna, he learned their language. Good work on that. <laughs> he gained insight into their social structure. We know that later by the effectiveness of his ministry. He studied, so he studied their culture. He studied their society. He studied their religion. He made the most of this time to be diligent. And again, he had to create all that structure himself. He disciplined himself to keep his mind active, to study, to research. Do you? Number four, recall what you know about and have experienced of God. And he did this. It was part of his worship. Every Anything he could remember from uh, what he was taught at church, anything he could remember about his experiences of God, he says that he would bring those things to, remind, to mind. He would recount those things. And that's what kept him going. I've shared this story many times. And again, I'm not endorsing his politics. I'm not even endorsing him as a person, okay? So don't email me. But... Uh, I did have an, I did three events for uh, Senator John McCain 
and we were having a luncheon uh, for all the people who were part of one of the one of the events. And it just really informally around lunch, it wasn't like testimony time, but his wife started sharing her testimony of uh, becoming a prescription drug addict after a back surgery and how God, you know, brought her out of that and what God did in her life. And then uh, Senator McCain just started sharing about when he was appointed as the chaplain at the, at the prison, he was held in the famous Hanoi Hilton. He was a prisoner of war and he was kind of informally appointed as the chaplain and he would have to organize a church service every week. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a hymn book. And, um, so each week he'd be trying to put together a hymn and a scripture verse and a little sermon for all the other prisoners. And he would have to ask, you know, all the different prisoners. And of course it could only communicate with Morse code by knocking, but any, that's not my point. So he would have to piece together who remembers the full hymn, what's a good scripture, and then turn that into a message. And I never recovered from that moment of realizing, well, if, if they took away our Bibles, if I were in a situation where I didn't have a Bible, I didn't have a, you know, a book of hymns and praise songs. I didn't have, you know, the YouTube channel of Jesus culture and Bethel and all this stuff. How much would I recall? And I, am I proactively storing those things in my heart and in my mind so that if someday, I don't know, I were in some circumstance. I mean, Patrick didn't think he would be in that circumstance. Senator McCain certainly never thought he would be in that circumstance. And I hope and pray that none of us ever are. But but what if we were? What if you didn't have your Bible and you didn't have iTunes and YouTube? What would you be able to recall about God that would be worth sharing with uh, your fellow prisoners there? And so I guess that the challenge here is to to store seeds for times of famine they may come, study the scripture, learn church history, read great biographies, watch inspiring movies about lives that were worth living. Second Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Romans 15, 4 says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And I just have to say, having just come from Turkey, I mean, just late last night got back. I mean, when you look at the lives of the early church, it's just so inspiring and so challenging. Their endurance some of the resources, and I just, I think my biggest takeaway from this trip to Turkey is my second trip, was that 15 year, 1,500 years of church history has been lost. That, and especially for those, and I know some of you maybe are Catholic and maybe from some other streams, but those of us who are in the kind of the Protestant, Western Protestant movement, we go from the, the last, you know, word of the book of Revelation and we jump forward to the Reformation with, with Martin Luther and we act like nothing happened. Nothing, nothing was worth knowing in the intervening 1500 years. And we've really lost so much. There's the, you know, there's the Coptic believers, the Syrian believers. There's so many different streams in the Eastern Orthodox and in the Roman Catholic that there are things and, and great believers, amazing people that we can learn from. And I just think that I want to spend more time studying those 1500 years. And of course, Patrick is a perfect example. 
of someone who in those intervening years is worth knowing about, whose life and ministry is worth emulating and who could be a mentor to us. Two of my favorite books, From Jerusalem to Erie and Jaya by Ruth Tucker and Miracle Workers, Reformers, and the New Mystics by John Crowder. That's a really out there book, um, but both of those really challenge my thinking and strengthen my faith. Number five, worship and pray during your darkest moments. Again, this is something he shares in his confessions that morning and evening, even throughout the day, he would worship and pray, worship and pray. And that strengthened him in the inner man. Number six, when God speaks, take massive action. Okay. Again, you know, can God trust you when God gives you a, a word, when God gives you an invitation, can he trust you to act on it? When God said, you know what, your ship has come in, he got up and walked. And then I, I forgot to tell the rest of the story. He goes back to his, his life. His parents are pressuring him. You know, just, you've, you've suffered enough for Jesus. Just <laughs> have a comfortable life now. And he had a vision. He had a vision of people in Ireland saying, come back to us. And after escaping that life, he, he went back. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation about him. He got on a boat and he went back and he tracked down his former slave owner and said, I ran away. I owe you. And like paid a penalty, you know, to, to purchase his freedom. He went back to the place of his captivity instant obedience. Do you, do you hear from God and then act? That's one of the things that characterized Patrick. Is it time to put some feet to your faith? We tweet, oh, was it really God? I need 10 more confirmations. I need five more uh, prophetic words. No, what you need is to take action. One of the challenges that I I, I gave uh, to a friend recently was, you know, get out of our head and into our feet. Some of us need to, you know, it's time to put some feet to our faith. And then number seven is return to your place of captivity and set the other captives free. And I've shared this many, many times that when God set me free, I had a vision that um, I was in it, you know, in a prison and God, you know, I get out of the prison. I start running for the exit and stop. It's just kind of a vision in my mind's eye, not like an actual unfolding vision that I saw. It was just kind of as I was praying a vision in my own mind. And I suddenly stopped and I felt the Holy Spirit say, what about the other prisoners? And I turned around and I realized, looked down and realized I had a set keys in my hand. And I started running down and opening all the other prisoners' doors. And I said, Lord, it's, I, I hear what you're saying. It's not enough for me to be free. I have to give my life to set the other captives free. And that's, you know, that's what Paul came, uh, Patrick came to. He's like, yeah, I got free, but what about all those people who are still captive? What about all those people who are still in darkness? I've got to go back and set them free. And that's what he did. And the fruit of his ministry, just briefly, and I really meant it to keep this to a half hour. I'm so sorry. Donna, 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 to be briefer. I thought this was brief. Okay. 100,000 people came to Christ, like pretty much a whole island <laughs> came, came to Christ. There's substantial evidence of the missionary efforts of his followers that can be found all over Europe, from uh, Russia to Iceland. How the Irish Saved Civilization, a great book by Thomas Cahill. Not a Christian, it was scholarly work, uh, but there's a fascinating read. His disciples led one of the most powerful missionary movements in church history, and it happened before 1500 AD, before the Reformation. During the Dark Ages, and I'm sorry I lost some of this, um, barbarians swept over the Roman Empire in the 5th and 6th centuries. The Roman political structure disintegrated and um, the centers for learning and education completely 
disappeared. Glad I remembered what I said. And they, they really had a distinctly Celtic Christianity. They were not Roman Catholic. They were certainly not Protestant, which wouldn't exist for another thousand years, right? They just had a very unique form of Christianity. And I'm planning either in 2017 or 2018 to lead a journey, a Celtic journey to rediscover that, that stream and to see if we can dig some ancient wells for our faith. And that will be um, 10 days in Ireland.com. That website's not up, but it will be 10 days in Ireland.com. And there'll be an opportunity uh, for this particular trick, five days of writing. We're going to try to go to a castle. Yeah, we're going to go to a castle. We're going to do five days of journaling. And you may never publish it, but of, of journaling and writing, and then five days of hiking and really just kind of dig into Celtic Christianity because Celtic Christianity was steeped in the word of God and it was steeped in literacy. It was all about writing and literacy. And so I think it'll be really, really appropriate. And then if you know anything about Ireland, there are more poet laureates from Ireland, more um, Pulitzer Prizes in literature, Nobel Prizes. I mean, Ireland is famous for their literature and their literacy. And so I think it's going to be a really powerful journey. So stay tuned for information about that. They preserved the Bible. They cherished the word of God, and it was central to their life and teaching. They didn't have a lot of extra biblical things that like came into the Roman church. They were really focused on and rooted in the word of God, and it was based on a monastic model. Um, and that's actually something I'm also very fascinated by is the Celtic monastic model of living. Again, preserve the Bible central to their life and teaching. Without their handwritten, they would handwrite. They didn't have the printing press, right? This is before the printing press. So they would handwrite the Bible. And if without those handwritten manuscripts, that's what they would do all day in their scriptoriums, writing out scripture. Do you write out scripture? Writing out scripture. The best way to memorize scripture is to write it out over and over again. And that's what they did all day from what, you know, just writing the word about. The Bible might have been lost. And then after Patrick came Columba, he established a very famous monastery at Iona off the west coast of Scotland. That I for sure want to go there. So stay tuned for that. I, I don't, it can't be part of this trip, I don't think. Um, but stay tuned. That's something I would like to go and explore. And then Lindisfarne, Holy Island. And if we weren't out of time, I would say much more about that. Maybe I will in a future chapel. The fruit of his ministry, more than half of all Bible commentaries written between 650 and 850 were written by the Irish. 60 monasteries founded by his followers in France, Germany, Switzerland, and Italy. And again, these monasteries were deeply, deeply rooted and focused on the word of God. They took the gospel as far east as Kiev, as far west as Iceland, and there is compelling evidence that they reached north America. And that's why, you know, years later, 1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, he found some blue eyed people living here. You know, so maybe some of the monks left that monastic life and married the native peoples, the indigenous peoples here. A very compelling evidence of it. Let me read his prayer and then pray for some of you as the Holy Spirit leads. I arise today through mighty strength 
the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me. So they were doing affirmations, 500 AD. God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snare of devils, from temptations of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and anear, alone and in the multitudes. This is like his own curse-breaking prayer, amen? I summon today all these powers between me and those evils against every cruel and merciless power that may oppose my body and soul against incantations of false prophets, against black laws of pagandom, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul. This is like my prayer of protection, isn't it? Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to me abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every ear that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invitation of the Trinity through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of all creation. Amen.